the OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, on August 23rd, our full-sized online super series drops, with guarantees as high as $1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online super series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 141 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them to me or post them in the Facebook group and we will get them read out. Alex, episode 141, you announced your retirement from professional poker as uh, sole income. I know that's a mouthful, but uh, how is retirement treating you? Good man. Uh, I'm in a great game now, and a great game is terrifying. Mm. Uh, making it on your own. But uh, this last week's been weird. Uh, quick little jag before we get started. Uh, let me mute my cell phone <laughs> so nobody can hear that. Now, it's something that's been on my mind, and I like talking to you. I would talk to you about this off air. So I figure on-air is a little more interesting. Like I said, the last week has been weird. Tell me what you think of this. I think men are slipping. I, I don't think men are men anymore. I Do you ever get that sense? Um, yeah, uh, in the traditional sense that we... I mean, I'm 33, you're 29. Yeah, 29. Uh, so, like, we're kind of similar as generation, you know, four or five years. Um, like, I grew up in... I we I joke with a friend of this. I mean, this is score. I'm going to take it right into what we used to talk about, like the old '80s action films and '90s films. I yes. Mean, I genuinely, me and my friends used to joke that we were we were brought up because our fathers left. You know, we were brought up by Bruce Willis, Steven Seagal, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. We used yes. to like joke saying, "What chance did we have?" And like men were, you know, strong and this and that, action heroes, this and stuff. So in terms of like pop culture and media and whatever, then yeah, like, modern man, like, today in 2017 is completely different from what I've thought, maybe what I thought, if you'd asked me at 13, 14, what type of man the the public would be, and even myself would be at 33, 34, you know, it's different, it's, it's definitely different. I'm not running around in a vest saving anyone from terrorists, you know? Right, it, well, it's more... The the thing I think you and I talk about a lot is manners, which was I would have gotten I would have gotten a ma- I, I would have gotten uh, lectured if I didn't open a door for a lady mm. if if I didn't if there was a bag uh, if a woman was carrying a bag into her apartment it was just kind of expected hey one of the young men has to grab that and that was and it wasn't me being educated it was myself. Well, it wasn't that I was an educated person. I was educated by other people. 
I think, a little bit more effectively. Whereas, well, uh, let, let me tell you what got me thinking about this. In America, it's especially pronounced, this delayed adolescence. This last week, I know this woman, incredibly capable, very intelligent, and a self-starter. She was trying to make headway at this company, but kept running into this good old boys club. Uh, sure enough, later, she gets canned from her job because they say she can't make this team work. And I'm wondering, how is that supposed to be possible? And this is something I just never noticed before because obviously I wasn't in the United States and I I guess I just wasn't paying attention and then there's other things like I'm walking with my girl through the streets and men slip cat calls in with whispers as they walk by it's shameful stuff uh, yesterday we were leaving a Mets game this was the one that blew my mind there were some drunk dumbass kids on the train one started getting rowdy and flying around the cabin I'm inwardly hoping the guy doesn't run into my girlfriend or me because then I'm going to have to go off. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not... I'm done fighting, man. I won most of my fights, then I lost one. And uh, ever since then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not too into it. Uh, being in the ER with blood streaming down my face was not a, not a good time. And then, yeah, at 21, I retired from all that. Uh, well, anyway, this guy doesn't calm down, but, oh, thank God, here's our stop. So we go to leave, and this dude is blocking the exit, literally has his arms on one, one pole and to the other pole, won't let anyone through. At this point, I'm just stunned. I, I'm embarrassed to be drunk in front of another person. I can't imagine holding up a whole subway. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, my girlfriend realizes the doors are about to shut, and all rules of decorum have been thrown out a long time ago, so she shoves the guy aside so he can get through, uh, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, I, uh, the guy flies into his buddy, and it was pretty funny. Uh, I obviously thought this was hilarious, and I'm glad she did it, because I felt I was going to have to get into it with these guys, and losers like that are always looking for a reason to fight, and yeah. a girl getting into it with them is not going to be it. But a guy getting into it with them, they're going to do the whole... The one time I got... I didn't get into a fight that I lost. But the, the big fights I got into in grade school were... One was literally this fat kid was getting picked on. I was just always looking for a fight. So I def- decided to defend the kid, and the kid punched me. So it wasn't... I, I decided, well, okay, I won, but I, I didn't... I really just kind of wanted to mouth off at the guy, right? I didn't expect him to just come out and punch me. But the one time I got hurt, six guys jumped me. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty scary. Uh, and uh, it, this is six guys. So, I mean, I'm just chills are going down my spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I'm worried for her because stupid people do stupid things, even though she's totally right to do what she did. All it takes is one slip and someone's laying on those rails, the train takes off, and we're in court for the rest of our lives over this one 15-second interaction. Or, yeah, it's a... How many guys have you met with scars on their face just from one bar fight? Mm -hmm. It's just... And this is what... These idiots have nothing to lose. If you're doing this, you have nothing to lose. Anyway... Anyways, we bolt through the opening, and one of the guys yells, you're not even from this country. You don't even have citizenship to my girlfriend, which was lovely. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my girlfriend made a good point. If we got into it with them and I got a lucky lucky punch in, then they're the ones that are going to be on the news. Oh, poor kid from the 
Hampton gets hurt on the subway. And I'm thinking, these are the same guys that do this uh, women-like assholes. And it's like, well, no, you're faking. You, uh, you clearly, when you're drunk, I can tell who you really are. And a lot of guys, when they get drunk, especially in the States, it's all women are just... Uh, women are bitches and women don't like me because they don't have money. And it's a, I've dated numerous times out of my league when I haven't had money. Uh, actually, right now that would be one of those times. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. If you can't treat people with respect, humility, and empathy in life, you won't succeed. That is the bottom line. That, that, it, you cannot succeed in business in, unless you're looking to take care of other people. That's how good companies work. Amazon is the biggest because they take care of their customers. I read a book about that right at the beginning when I was coaching, and I always made it a point to think about my students before anything. And now I'm, I'm really blessed to have a really good job, but these other people just want something for nothing. And this, I, I, it's weird to me, Barry, because it's just, I feel as if people are, we've talked about this a lot, and it's not like I haven't struggled with feelings of entitlement, but I, I this is ent entitlement like I've never seen it. You think you're so important, you can just rough up everybody on a subway, and nothing's supposed to happen to you. You can block a girl from leaving on her stop. And she's not allowed to shove you out of the way. And then you can yell uh, something racially motivated. Or you're so mad that this girl walks by you and you, you think she's supposed to stand there and have this conversation with you. Because what, you're a nice guy? And I, I love that, which is, <laughs> I'm a nice guy. Why don't women like me? Being nice is the absolute dead minimum. That's, you're supposed to be a nice guy. It's actually somewhat out of the ordinary when someone's not a nice guy. That's why we decide those people are assholes and refer to them as assholes. And it's, 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 uh, it's bewildering to me. I, I miss the days of Bruce Willis saving everybody. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, I, th I think it's the entitlement thing rather than... Because I, I still, we've talked about it before on previous shows, like I still make a point of being nice in manners and just doing that, you know, and I kind of like say, you know, don't want to get really intense, say like, oh, you know, if you want to, like, the world to be this way, then act the way that you want people to act to you sort of stuff, mm -hmm. but I kind of do it both ways, I do it for that reason, just to these days, I find it's the minority that have got manners, manners, sorry, and are nice. So when I do it, I kind of do it in a way that, like, not stand out, but it makes you, like, at least the people think, do you know what, like, every time, it, you never get, you know, it's never bad to be polite to someone, even when they're shit to you, you know, like, if it's bad service. <laughs> if you take the high ground and just say, oh, yeah, thank you, you know, whatever, you've got this sort of position of strength there. But also just from being nice, like, I just do that stuff naturally, like, hold doors for people, men or women, you know, I just hold a door for someone and say thank exactly. you and excuse me and whatever and I think that's half the battle but that is missing with a lot of people these days and I think the entitlement thing is wanting something for nothing and this offended culture I mean that that's a whole other show you know because it's just it is so rife now through every 
uh, fiber, you know, with social media <laughs> and industry and uh, news articles and newspapers, it's this like, you can't say this, you can't say that, that offends me. Well, we are, by not saying that, we're actually offending this group and this group. And it just comes down to, like I've always said, it's like freedom of speech, leave it at that. And you judge people by, like, yeah, the guy that shouts somebody at your girlfriend, he's an asshole. And the majority yep. of people on that subway will agree with you. You know, it doesn't need to be anything else. It's like, and then he will get treated by society like that. And the only people that will treat him good are other assholes, are people that share similar, you know, views and stuff. So, um, yeah, exactly. it's just... Uh, you, you, you get what you deserve. That's uh, you it. You get to it. ask for. It, what, two things before we finish up and get into the questions here. One, don't you feel like you're polite for yourself? There's a lot of times... Uh, I, If I get into a disagreement with someone, especially this has come up with women... Uh, I always, I, I just try to turn as much of the measured speaking as I can on. The, or anytime I'm in a confrontation with someone, or I'm just speaking to someone that normally, because if you start on a polite note, there's many times 20 minutes later you realize, wait a minute, I got this totally wrong. And if you weren't polite during the entire exchange, you're going to really regret it 20 minutes later. Whereas if you were polite, you never have anything to rethink. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I just do it for myself, which is I don't want to, for myself, I, I don't want to misrepresent myself. So I, it, it, I would rather not shut the door behind me and not open it for someone. I don't want to raise my voice because that makes me physically uncomfortable because if I'm not in the right, which happens a lot, I think I'm in the right and then I'm not, uh, well, I'm going to feel really, really terrible later. And uh, it, the second thing I was going to bring up, hold on a second, let me see if I can remember. Oh, it, even just this little intro, I'm sure people would be offended by and the polarization of people Oh, you're saying men aren't men anymore. I think that's because of, uh, I get a lot of this, that's because of women. And there's certain attitudes that have become more popular in culture that have come from women, which I, I think could contribute to men not being gentlemanly. But this whole all or nothing thing gets on my nerves, which is, yes, you can believe America is a great country with lots of opportunity for women, uh, you can also believe there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. That doesn't mean you, you don't have to believe one or the other. This whole, everybody in America I meet either has to tell me America is the biggest load of, uh, this, this country is the biggest load of pig guts I've ever seen. And I, I just want to say, I spent almost 10 years abroad. I, I can tell you this country is pretty good. Right. It has some problems. But then if I say, hey, these problems, uh, this is something I've been talking about with people lately because I, j I just haven't seen sexism, racism this pronounced in a while. And just out of confusion, I was, why do people do this crap? And uh, people do the, and my friends who are more right-wing going, are you saying America's not the greatest country on earth? <laughs> it's like, okay, buddy. Uh, I, so, somebody yelled something racially motivated uh, 
at my girl off the subway and almost physically accosted her. I, I think uh, I think we can go ahead with uh, we need more work, but the whole yada yada. It's uh, it, it, this it, 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 it's bewildering to me. Anyways. Why don't we go ahead and get into some questions now that we got off on that very chipper note to begin? Yeah, the wa- the world's crumbling, but let's talk. About <laughs> um, okay, uh, right. Well, I was going to say a couple of things. I've been playing some poker recently, and uh, I played uh, an event in Edinburgh last. Let me think. I went and played Saturday day one, uh, the last day one. Uh, two hundred and twenty pound buy-in, and it was like twenty-five grand guaranteed prize pool, and it got past the guarantee, like thirty grand guarantee. Uh, really good tournaments there, uh, called the twenty-five twenty-five uh, events, run by Grosvenor Casinos in the UK. And uh, I went through, decided to play that, and uh, had a really good time. Made day one, but with uh, got back to like twelve and a half big blinds. Had to drive, had to drive an hour to the casino, so it was like driving back the next day with twelve and a half big blinds. I got my first shove through in the second one, and then it was folded to me in small blind. I had like ten big blinds, and I shipped queen five of diamonds and the guy of aces, and uh, uh. Uh, that, that that was me. Uh, so I lasted thirty minutes, and then just got back in the car and drove an hour home again. Um, but that was that, and then I played some. Uh, I had to. I had problems with my laptop and charger and stuff during the week, so I had my old laptop on, and I was like, "Oh, it's still got this and that." So I fired up Poker Stars, played uh, the bigger fifty-five, and an eleven-dollar buy-in, like four K Zoom Zoom tournament. You know that was running. I just saw it was one that was running. It was late regged. It like it'd been going for like forty minutes. And I won it for eight hundred and sixty-eight dollars or something. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, that's nice, yeah. Man. It's always nice to win it outright, you know. Uh, that Zoom tournament, so that was fun. And uh, I've actually—it's funny because the last few weeks we, with Alex, you know, discussing retiring from playing as full time and stuff. We've also said Alex touched on it. I couldn't tell you the minute, the winners of the main event for like the last few years or whatever. Or you know, I. I'd, I'd struggle to, to name them, whereas a few years previous to that, I could probably tell you, like, all the final table, you know, which, mm-hmm. is, which is weird. But I must admit, this last week um, on BT Sport in the UK, they've been streaming the uh, World Series live for, like, three, four hours a night, and then mm-hmm. it goes to Poker Go. So I've been watching it, and I kind of got into it, and I'm, the final table starts tonight, and I'm actually looking forward to watching it. Um, some of the, you know, commentary and stuff was, it, I don't know what it was. It was like, you know, Norman Chad's always good. He, he's always good value. And then um, I heard this guy, this UK granddad, this John Hesp or whatever his name is, um, he final table that he's sickened in chips. And like the butcher, who I go to, like local butcher, <laughs> I walked in and he was like, oh, you know, you're into poker and stuff. I said, yeah. And he's like, so uh, the guy that's at this poker thing, he's made the final table. I play pool with him in like competitions down in Britain and stuff. Oh, yeah, cool. apparently, <laughs> he apparently plays like in pool tournaments and stuff like that as well. So um, I was like, oh, it's all good for the game, you know. Especially if someone like he's getting quite good coverage in the UK. Obviously, like sixty-four-year-old grandfather that's made the final table and stuff. So yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to actually watching the final table for the first time and. God, it must be five years, Alex, or four years, something like that, you know, that I've even mm. thought about watching it. But um, 
that was just a sort of segue into the first question. So, with all the World Series stuff and the, the final table starts tonight, uh, one listener, David, has emailed in and he said, Hello, I was watching WSOP stream and the hand when Vanessa Selbst went out with aces up against quad sevens. She seemed at some point to be seriously considering folding. Can we ever fold here? I couldn't. But I suppose that early in the main event, you can think about it possibly. Now, I don't know if you saw the hand, Alex, or whatever, but I, I went into YouTube and pulled up the main details of the hand anyway. So, um, I will give you it anyway. I should, in case some listeners haven't as well. So, mm-hmm. um, Vanessa Selps raised three to like 400. I assume the blinds were, you know, one in 200 or something there. It didn't have what the blinds were. Um, two callers, and the flop came ace, seven, five, three clubs. Now, Gail, Bo- that Gail Bowman, or Gail Bowman, female player, um, she's made a deep run before, I think. Um, she had pocket sevens, and Vanessa Selps had aces. Anyway, um, the flop came ace, seven, five, three clubs, and Vanessa Selps bet 700 into 1,200, and Bowman calls with, uh, you know, the set of sevens. The turns are seven, Selps checks, Bowman bets, 1700 and Selps raises to 5.8k and Bowman calls. Uh, the pot's 14k on the river, Selps bets 16k and then Bowman like re-raises all in and Vanessa Selps sort of thinks about it and gives the speech saying I guess you could have a7 and you know I don't know I'm good enough to fold etc and then calls and she's got aces full and Gil Bowman's got seven uh, quad sevens. So basically, the guy's asking, can we ever fold here? Would you think about folding here? As I say, I, if Vanessa Selps raised to 400, the blinds must have been one and two. So, or, you know, whatever it was, uh, 75, 150. I don't know what the levels are. Or, you know, but essentially, that was the hand, and that's all the meat of it. A general rule of thumb is if Vanessa Selps can't find a fold, I can't find a fold. <laughs> because she's, uh, she's much better at poker than I am. I, the thing that's really difficult about folding there is I understand Vanessa Selp's concern, and I think anybody that's judging her for pausing there, I don't think has ever played at that level and been caught in that type of a conundrum. Mm. That said, obviously it looks like she's going to call eventually at some point. So you wonder why she's time banking, but she needs to think about, would she really jam here for her tournament uh, with a flush? And if she assumes she's not that type of player, then you got to start putting her on some other hands. Now, then it becomes, well, she's probably not doing this with threats. She's not doing this with, She's not doing this with uh, a flush, mm-hmm. so it's got to be another full house. So I think the final board was a seven seven five something. Ace uh, ace seven five seven, and then I think the river was uh, four or something. Yeah, the river was whatever. I so think I think in this day and age, you can't rule out a seven five suited. Uh, pocket five certainly makes fine sense. Many people pl- treat all... You're going to have so few situations where full houses can be treated differently. Many people 
through lack of practice are the fact that they're never penalized because 99 times out of 100, your full house is the best hand. Yeah. Uh, they just never learn to play any of them differently. There have been times I've flatted on the river with a full house, and then I, I've been shown a better hand. Not too many of them. I can't say to be an expert uh, at this, but it, it does come up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's possible. I don't I don't know who this. Uh, I assume it's a young lady. The the woman she was playing against. Yeah, I uh, think late late twenties, uh, maybe even thirty. But she was. Uh, I recognize her from again a few years ago. I think she made a deep run at one point. Uh, she got down to like a few tables or something, maybe in the main event. So she's a professional. You know, she's she she can play. Yeah, and uh, not I I don't know her from Adam, but. Generally, I'm going to assume most players have played less than a million hands in their life, and somebody who plays less than a million hands is going to play any full house there more or less the same. So I don't think Vanessa Selps can find a full there. I think Vanessa kind of knew something was up, mm-hmm. but that's not strong enough. to. If she had fives full there, I think she's got to... She, she's got a she's got a legitimate point. Maybe I could have found the fold there, but you're beating enough full houses. I, I do think you have to get it in there with the aces full. It's it's rough because when she overbets the river and she gets shoved on, there's just not as many hands she beats as opposed to if she bet half pot and the person jammed. Mm-hmm. I still do believe she needs to call there. Yeah, and it's like the ace seven of hearts as well. It was just one raise pre-flop that easily she could play that as well. Oh, yeah, and the five seven suited Max. Yeah, yeah. So sense. no, we, no, Alex couldn't fold there. Well, yeah, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not it's funny, isn't it? If you take it literally, it's like I couldn't fold it. You could. Anyone can press fold at any point, but it's mm. whether you should or would. You know, it's like, like mm. you say, the amount of times that, I mean, if you're really thinking about folding that hand there, um, you know, that's aces full, I don't know, I, it's, yeah, I I kind of get as well, while she said, like, it's easy, if you're playing that online, or I'm playing, it's instant call, you know, it's just call for me, like, 100%, but when you are the cameras and all that there, and especially, like you say, a player like Vanessa Seltz, who's an excellent player, can sit, she's obviously thinking, well, what is, like you've said, what is this girl doing this with, what, what hands, and like you said, I think there's too many other full houses there that make sense, and it could be, you know, it's like... And think about the uproar if she folded that and she was wrong as well. <laughs> well, it's... It, people definitely berate you more for bad folds than they do for bad calls, so just trying to avoid getting made fun of. Many people take a certain option. I think that really throws off how people play, and it's it's very difficult when the cameras are on. I know the first time I was on a TV table, I didn't play the way I normally played because mm. it was it was a little terrifying having everybody see what I had. And the same thing happened in the Sunday Million. Uh, the first time I made the Sunday Million final table, uh, I was really worried that everybody was going to see my cards and have certain views as mm. to what they thought I should have done. Now I realize people are going to criticize you regardless, so you more you you should just go ahead and do what you want to do. Yeah, play. That's like golf. I hate swinging in front of people, taking a <laughs> tee shot. It's like I can't hit I, with an audience. <laughs> I was on a course in Manila, 
the Philippines. And it's an amazing course if you can ever get to play it. But it's made in the ruins of this Spanish castle. And it's truly, it's a stunning thing to see. They make you tee off in front of half the country. And sure enough, (laughs) I, I, I hadn't golfed in years and years and years. My dad used to take me when I was very young. And just on a whim, I wanted to see this course. So I got these rental clubs I'd never used in my life. And I go, all right, tee off. And I got half of uh, Manila there. And I, I go ahead and swing and just whiff the ball. Just not even close. And just uh-huh. the to- and couldn't even feign like it was a practice swing or anything. <laughs> Everybody saw. It was so embarrassing. But, yeah, I hate teeing off in front of people. Yeah, me too. I used to play a, a lot as well, but I would even hate to do it even more today, I think. I've not played in a while. Um, okay, uh, this next question is from Alvin Kaufman. Uh, hi, I have a question for Alex relating to six max. Could be tournament, but I play mostly cash due to time constraints. I find when I three-bet hands from the button, small blind and big blind, and even the cutoff, people just fold the majority of the time. What is a good way to adapt to call in these positions and hope the guy raising to take the blinds catches enough to get me value? Thanks, Alvin. Long-time listener and follower of Alex. I, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch the question. What What was he, when he raises from those positions? Or he that's... says uh, when he three bets from the button, small blind, big blind, and even the cutoff, people are... Uh, fold the majority of the time, what is a good way to adapt to call in those positions and hope that the guy raising to take the blinds catches enough to give him value? He's, uh, I, I'm still, so when he three bets, people are folding and he doesn't like that? Or... <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I was going to say, what site's that? I, nobody ever folds to my three bets. As yeah, well, that's, my... uh, I, there's a couple reasons people are folding to you, which is one, you're very nitty. Two, you're three-betting very large. Three, you're doing a combination of the two. And if you're very nitty and you're three-betting very large, people are just naturally going to fold to you. The problem is going to be the only times you're going to get all the money in is when it's going to be cooler versus cooler. This isn't a terrific uh, way to play, but it's also not a negative EV way to play, in my opinion, because... Most people will find reasons to play. Uh, I read something a neurologist said recently, which is we are not thinking machines that feel, we are feeling machines that think. And most people, when they feel like playing poker, they feel like playing poker. They don't want Mm -hmm. to fold. And if you play very nitty and make very large three bets, eventually someone's going to crack under pressure Uh, not even under pressure, they're just going to crack out of impatience, and they're going to give you money. Uh, I had nothing else but that strategy when I was starting. But at the same time, if you want to maximize the amount of money you make, it's it's going to become a process of adding more hands to your arsenal, and this will also give you additional money when you do pick up a big hand because people won't be so certain that you have a big hand. So I would recommend opening up your game, if I understood the question correctly, which I'm not sure I still do, uh, I would recommend opening up your game a bit. Using If you're using a 3x sizing on your 3 bets, maybe going to 2.8x uh, to, get, to get there. 
and yeah, best of luck to you. Yeah, I think Alvin, you know, if you are, well, I assume you will listen to this episode or eventually. Um, yeah, I think maybe you could clarify it by saying what hands he's three betting and when they're folding, because like you say, if his range is only three betting X percentage of hands, the smallest, you know, premium hands, then that's probably why. But if he's three betting like junk, basically, I'm not, I'm not sure what he what he sort of means there as well. I suppose it depends, doesn't it, Alex? Because, you know, if he's raising, if he's raising three bet and seven, eight suited or whatever, then, and people are folded, then I kind of think that's, that's good. You take that 100% of the time, probably, you know, if you, you can pick it. Um, so, yeah, maybe email in and say if it's because you're maybe only three betting, you know, aces, kings, queens, jacks, ace, king, or ace, queen, suit, or whatever like that, and, um, but I think I think from what you say in the question, the positions he is, uh, yeah, to steal like to, a re-steal, isn't it? If he's saying that they're raising and then they're folding uh, out of position to him, I suppose he's looking to play a pot. But then later in the question, he says, to "How can he get them to call so he gets value?" Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah, smaller yeah. sizings, opening up your game, uh, etc. So yeah, try try throwing in a few three bet bluffs. Uh, with suited gappers work really well in cash. And uh, you do have to have a pretty thorough triple barreling strategy if you're going to do that. And if you uh, if you want a very expensive look into that, I'd recommend uh, the chapter Unload the Clip in uh, the Myth of Poker Talent. Uh, you, you can go ahead and look at that. Okay. And just if you want to throw a hand in for like a curveball, was it ten three your favorite hand? Alex? Yeah, ten three, ten three is my favorite hand. And that's kind of I haven't done anything with that hand in a while. I'm more yeah. Why why is that your favorite? I just that for some reason I always remember that was your favorite hand. Why why is that your favorite hand? I somebody kept asking me in interviews, "What's your favorite hand?" And I hate the question because it's it's a, it's a really stupid question and. Yeah. Uh, finally, I said, as a joke, 10-3 offsuit. And then apparently people play that hand now. I don't know if that was just a random thing that cropped up elsewhere. But the the justification I've given for it now that it's come up again and again and again is I like making something out of nothing in poker, and 10-3 offsuit is quite literally nothing. It is... <laughs> And it's not do seven nothing. There's nothing flashy about it. If you turn over three ten, there's no oh he was trying to play do seven. It's just mm. it's just garbage. It's, it's just terrible. But yeah, uh, the biggest bluff I ever ran was with do six offsuit. So maybe that should be that was the one in the F tops one hundred rebuy. We're playing for want to say three hundred fifty k up top. I four bet pre flop and bet flop bet turn jammed river and somehow got the guy to fold and then of course you have to show it but it was a, if i had that hand back i'd just fold on the button there's there's certain things you just stop doing as you get older because you realize there's not really a point to doing this and 10-3 offsuit is one of them uh anyways i guess we should get another question yeah, well, we got one last question for today. We are battering through them, so um, uh, this one is from Eddie. Hey, guys, I'm looking for advice about adapting when card dead. We've all been there folding for hours in a tournament with not a sign of an ace or paint, let alone a pair. I understand we need to maintain patience, 
But when we are 30 big blinds and it's not improving, I thought about playing blind to make some moves. I understand this is extreme, but any moves I can use. Uh, thank you for your question. If you can figure out how to get past being card dead, please let me know. I, I don't. I don't think there's really a way to do this, which the question is unanswerable, which is what can I do with 30 big blinds in order to prolong my tournament life, which I think is the wrong question because there's, I can tell you there's not a whole lot you can do. If you open, people are very well trained versus that. Most of the hands they play are versus one opener these days. Three betting is very, it puts your stack in a very vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why are you at 30 big blinds? And I find the way that you stay out of that territory is you three bet more and you get to the big blind more. And what I mean by you get to the big blind more is when you open, you open with players to your left, or you open a sizing are you open specific hands that will deal with specifically the big blind player? And if the big blind player calls in the big blind and then just check folds most of the time, that's where a lot of your money is going to come from. So perhaps a suited gapper would do really well versus that player specifically. And if somebody flats you behind, it's going to do well in a multi-way pot. Perhaps the best hand versus that person is not a seven offsuit from the hijack, which is something I see a lot of people opening. I don't, think is correct uh similarly i don't think the small pairs are that valuable uh unless you assume you're going to be playing a multi-way pot the other thing that i think is supremely profitable and very necessary is three betting more there's many times you see a guy open from under the gun six four suited something along those lines and people look at it and go so what and they don't really do anything, and then uh, that person opens again, and it gets folded to them with jack-10 offsuit, and, the mm-hmm. and they don't three-bet this hand. This is very strange, because this hand is against, uh, is doing well versus this person's range. You are in position. You could three-bet, and it, once you three-bet, the guy more often than not is just going to be losing money. There's not a whole lot he can do. Uh, the other thing is that with this hand, you will have all the control. If you flop one pair, you can check back on the flop if you want to play a two-three game. You can bet the flop. Like you said, there's always the option to fold. You can hit the fold button at any time. So if you flop a pair, bet the guy raises, and you think he's being really tight, go ahead and fold. But nine times out of ten, everybody just calls down. They raise from early position, they call. Uh, it, people still... Affects, I think is the right word. They They still screw on these rules that I think are very dated, which is, oh, a guy opens from under the gun, uh, I have to fold ace-jack offsuit. I, I don't believe that's true, uh, especially if the guy's opening every suited ace and flatting all three bets. If he's opening king-jack suited, queen-jack suited, jack-10 suited, jack-9 suited, jack-8 suited, and then calls the three bet, queen-jack off, jack-10 offsuit, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And also, many people go, well, what about what if the button's going to play and I three bet from the cutoff? I... I don't believe that we're in the era of four-bet semi-bluffing, cold four-bet bluffing, nor do I, I... I think there might come a time we enter that era, but that era is not today. So your worries should be very minimal. 
about somebody for betting behind you. And if you do a number of these three bets, and the other thing that I think is very, very important, if you do a number of these three bets, you'll stay out of that 30 big blind territory and the card dead territory where you have a certain number of moves that you can no longer use, which will make you feel more card dead than perhaps you are. The other thing you got to do is stop checking back rivers. Everybody checks back the river way too much, which is I think I have the best hand. Everybody loves getting to showdown. Uh, I don't know why people feel a little successful when they turn over the best hand. I, it's a card game. I, I don't get it. But when a guy checks you on the river and you check back the best hand, you should be very angry with yourself. You should be thinking, how could I have gotten more value out of that? If I check back third pair and the guy turns over fourth pair, I'm, I'm thinking, I ah, could I have bet a third pot on the river? And specifically that hand would have called. I didn't think he had many top pairs or second pairs in his range. Where did I go wrong here? And I find a lot of those times I get in just a couple river bets at the beginning of the tournament, and people feel like calling at the beginning because they have 100 big blinds, 90 big blinds, what have you. And you're only betting 12 big blinds, but that money comes becomes very, very helpful later on. And when it becomes that helpful, you want to make sure you have that those chips in your coffers before they're absolutely necessary. And I think that's where the game is won. And many, many times when I hear people, oh, I late reg for the WSOP, I'm always very confused because that seems when people are just handing out chips like confetti is at the beginning, and you don't have to play a big pot unless you absolutely want to. So I'd recommend the way to not be card dead later in the tournament is to use the hands that are superior to your opponent's range when you have them early on. Do not just subscribe to this notion that when one person raises, you must fold this certain range. Your opponent's range is going to be very easy to play if some hands get to showdown. And luckily for you, everybody tries to get to showdown quite often. So I think you need to be very, very aware of when somebody is getting a little out of line. Because these days, it's just not going to get folded to you in middle position. Early position is going to open more often than not. And if you can imagine somebody randomly saying there's going to be a second big blind 30% of the time from EP1, EP2, or EP3, you would not take raising that second big blind to be too serious of a matter. You would just go ahead and raise it as if it were a straddle. Well, we are in that era where most people put out a raise as if it were nothing, as if it were an obligatory bet with their 10-7 suited. You must take advantage of that. Uh, good luck to you. Okay, Alex. Well, I know you do have to leave right on the hour uh, today. You got commitments, but um, you've battered through the only questions I've taken and put on the notepad. So um, we got time to first of all let's wrap it up by saying how people can get in touch with you for coaching, for your webinars and your newsletter, etc. And then we can maybe uh, I don't know uh, chat about. I don't know, have you been watching the World Series? Or oh. tell people how we can get your products and then we can talk. Sure, uh, write me at alex at com. By the way, if you're listening to this and I haven't responded to your email in the last week, we, we just got a flood of emails. Uh, I'm going to be getting back to all of them 
by the end of the weekend, by Monday next week, I, I'm aiming to get to inbox zero. So if you've written me and you have not received a response, I sincerely apologize. I just don't have assistance anymore. So it's it's me doing everything, and right now it's been fair. It, it's been fairly busy. I, I've had many many lessons recently, so that's been going on. Uh, write me at alexandpokerhandrush.com though, and I, I always do get back to you. Uh, follow me on Twitter at the Assassinato. Subscribe to my mailing list at pokerheadrush.com, and yeah, write me if you're if you want to discuss lessons. Uh, we have a reduced price right now. It's uh, 125 per lesson. Uh, six for 750 will also get you subscribed to my private chat rooms. Uh, it's and you want to be there because this is not this is not your mama's chat room. It's a, there's no trolls here. It's all serious people working on their game. If you've ever felt you didn't have somebody to bounce ideas off of when it comes to poker, this is going to be your spot. And, yes, you also get a copy of the Myth and Poker Talent if you buy six uh, ahead of time. So, yeah, Barry, what are, what are we chatting about? Well, I'm, it's weird because I'm really loving poker again just now, wanting to play. Uh, so That's I'm, good. I've been, I've been looking at some uh, you know, other live tournaments and stuff. There's not much uh, recently. I've got a couple of weddings at the end of the month I've got to go to. There was a couple... Um, Poker stars are like doing a few live ones with a local casino. I'm not sure, but the buy-in's quite well, relatively small. It's like 160 pounds. There's one in Edinburgh for any uh-huh. Scottish any Scottish listeners uh, at the Genting Edinburgh Casino. I think it's like 150 buy-in, and it's Poker Stars live event or something. But I'm going to miss that. Um, yeah, there's a couple. So I just I really enjoyed playing again and. Alex, I think you know. I think you take credit for that because I've went through like, oh, poker can't be bothered playing again, and then liking it and stuff. And even that driving an hour back for twelve and a half big blinds and being out in thirty minutes, I kind of enjoyed it. And I think it's because, you know, I think it's because it's not my income mm-hmm. and stuff. Is what you know. I think it's like, I really to anybody that does this for full time sole income and they don't have any other side hustles. I mean. There's got to be points where you're just not on your A-game because stress of, like, money or bills or, you know, whatever. And you're playing these tournaments. And I see at that live game I played, the, the mix was real, you know, recreational, uh, decent amateurs, old-timers, uh, plenty female players, plenty young... I don't know if they were pros or whatever. They maybe call themselves pros or whatever, but... You know, it was a real mixed field, and you see a lot of people just enjoying themselves, and you see some people just still take it all so personally, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just, I would, I'd never want to, to go there. And I remember playing, and like, in a bad run, and online, and this and that, and you would start to, like, I've never been big, I've never berated people at a table, I've never done anything like that. Um, but I would sometimes, when I was playing, and it was like my only income at that point, it was really like you felt a little bit of resentment creeping in in certain things, you know, and I hated that, and I hated thinking like that. So it's just good to go and play poker and enjoy it for a game and play, and, you know, if you win some money, then good, but if not, it's like at least you got out of the house and spoke to some people as well. You know, that's that's the way I'm looking at it, Alex. 
I think that's the right way to look at it. The problem with poker is I think in any game you play, if it's the only game you play in life, well, you're going to become very bitter if someone becomes more successful for you and it has nothing to do with talent. If you're, it has nothing to do with skill, it has nothing to do with work ethic. Mm. If you, if your life is your working life and you get passed over for the promotion, you have nobody to come to, home to, but your cat. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna have a tough time. And making poker, the main reason I decided this isn't going to be my sole income anymore was. After the divorce, I went to Prague more. It was an excuse to do a family vacation. I played for fun. I won. Montreal, it was, a, it was an excuse to go hang out in Canada uh, with friends. And I did. And I had a lot of fun. I made a final table. And then everybody said, oh, you got two final tables in about two months here, Alex. It's time to start getting into this. So you, you put the money together with investors. You... Uh, and all all that good stuff, and you go out there, and when it's a job, it's a job, and it's just it, there's a there were plays I got away with. I I I did some psycho plays in Prague. I would just, and I, I it wasn't a big deal because oh God forbid I bust, I just go home and hang out with my family, and it was uh, sure enough, you final table things work out. Whereas when it's your income, it's uh, I, I don't I don't find it as enjoyable, and I, I don't feel as if I grow as much as I'd like to in the game. I still love poker quite a bit. This is still my job. It is my day-to-day job to discuss poker, to analyze poker, to work within the poker industry. But I enjoy it a bit more at a distance. Whereas if you're playing every day. You're just not enjoying it nearly as much. You take it personally because that's all you have. You have to have other things going on in your life. And it's strange as you get older, you realize all these things need to line up. You have to have your passions, your work. (laughs) Relationships, everything else. Yeah, your your exercise. I haven't exercised in four days. I'm feeling really lethargic right now because I don't normally do that. And... All these things need to line up, and it seems like such a pain in the ass. But when you do finally get it all together, it, it is a wonderful feeling. And I think poker for a long time, my life was very out of balance because it was just all these people pushing me. you got to play more. you got to play higher stakes. you got to play higher stakes. Investors, backers, family members, girlfriends, all these, yeah. pe- all these people that had some vested interests. And I don't blame them. They believed in me. They wanted the best for me. They thought I could succeed, but perhaps that just wasn't the speed of life that I wanted to deal with. That yeah. it, it sounds like professional poker wasn't for either of us. It's it's I did it for many years. It was all I did in my teens, in my early 20s, up till about 25, 26. That was all I did. The coaching thing was always the side thing. And it gets to a point, I don't want to worry about money constantly, and I don't want to, if you keep moving up, we've discussed this before, you become a, you, you begin playing a tournament against yourself. 
Yeah. And it just, there, to keep up with the Joneses and to be the guy in Bluff Magazine, you, you've got to just keep moving up and you're always playing the biggest game at the casinos. And there, there was a time I was playing 2550. Uh, online, I was playing 510. I was bankrolling myself in 10Ks. And I just looked back and I said, this isn't me. This isn't... I, I, I dropped 25K one day in Monte Carlo. And at the time, I could afford that. But it certainly didn't seem smart. And it, it was occurring to me, this is what my mom made in a year as a teacher after taxes. And I played good that day. I didn't play spectacular. And the fact I didn't play spectacular, that I had some responsibility in this 25000 that, that that was just a little too much. And then I was on the phone uh, with my family later that night, and I, I was feeling way better after talking with them. And I was thinking, if you can drop twenty five k in a day, but talking to your family makes you feel this good, right after that, then this must be what's really important. Because when I won money in poker, I didn't feel a whole lot. I didn't... It didn't mean much to me because I had nothing to do with my money. I I didn't have anything I wanted to invest in. I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to buy a a house. I I just wanted to keep playing more poker. And there was a yeah. small part of me that kept saying, to what end? When does this end? And my, my answer was, when I get a million dollars. When I get a million dollars? What is that going to do for me? It's, yeah. And by the way, that's such... What's the difference between a million and 900? Exactly. Is no <laughs> well, the, the dumbest thing was, if I... I make a good salary now with my coaching, but it's it's not like the old days where... There's this, you know, back up the Brinks truck back in 2008, 2009 with poker tournaments. Uh, there's no making a hundred thousand in a month. It's it's a steady income. It's a good income, but it, I look back at the money I was making then. Obviously, if I knew now what I knew then, I, I could have done a lot of the things that I was dreaming of doing. I just, it's more convenient to make something unattainable because then you become this important person. Oh, I got to go out there. I got to go get it. And oh, people don't like me because I'm not this rich person. I haven't gotten into this class. You don't, you never have to look at yourself. You never have to go because I I kept thinking, Oh, all my problems are because I don't have more money. Mm -hmm. That excuses me from going, I think <laughs> I, I think there's some things that are wrong with me I need to work on. And the other thing you do is, oh, I can't have problems because I have money in poker, which obviously these dual thoughts, double think, don't really c- cross your mind, which is, uh, no, you, you have issues. You have to work on it. And you're not growing as a poker player because all you're thinking about is making money. So... You're not investing in learning other games. You're not investing in your study. You're just trying to stay at the tables constantly, and eventually the game will pass you by unless you take some time to put pen to paper and learn from the game. And it sounds like you took some time, invested in time, uh, invested your time in things that really meant a lot to you, uh, changed up life a bit. Now po- poker's 
poker's more enjoyable, right? It's more fun. That's it. That's it. And I think what people, you, you hit on it there, it's, I think it was Tony Robbins, he says, there's no worse feeling than getting success or what you call success and then feeling like unfulfilled. You know, hitting that million dollars and then going, whoa, is this it? Like, I still have this in my head or that insecurity or that way that I deal with anger and frustration or, you know, like lots of issues or whatever, mm-hmm. or stuff that, not, not, not issues, like, but things that you need to look at or deal with or work on, you know, to be a, like, I think it comes down to balance again, Alex. I think if you're going along and you're playing a little bit of poker, you're doing your coaching business, things are going well with your girlfriend, you're, you're, you're exercising, you're getting eight hours sleep, you're reading your books, you're enjoying... As soon as you start knocking one out off kilter, then it'll have an effect. Yep. And then as soon as two or three, it's like everything turns to <laughs> shit or something. It's weird. You know, it's like you got to just sort of keep it balanced. Yep. It's, it's balanced, uh, isn't it? What, you know? what, makes, what makes sense to you? And uh, to Tony Robbins' credit, I was very unhappy when I made a ton of money because I, I looked around and realized I, w- I was ruthless to get that money. I, I was not, I didn't sleep, I didn't eat, I just did a lot of drugs to keep playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got all that money and I realized I still had problems. And then I didn't, I didn't even mind going broke. One of the best things that ever happened to me was not, was uh, running into a very difficult time because then it made me reevaluate myself and finally deal with some of these issues. Now, anyhow, I do have to run to the next lessons. We should- yeah, that is Alex. We've got a minute to spare, so let's wrap it up. Send your questions into Alex for questions at oneouter.com, and we will get them read out on the next show. Alex, you've got a minute till your next appointment, so thanks for sticking with us. And the last 10 minutes, uh, I think people will learn from that as well and take something from it, and that's what it's about. So thanks for being here, Alex, and we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, on August 23rd, our full-sized online super series drops, with guarantees as high as $1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online super series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to $140,000 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room.